Right, well, welcome to this second session of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable Conference. This is a session on strategy. Let's do a quick round the room of self-introductions, um, but let's keep it very short. So let's keep it literally to sort of name, job title, organisation, and one sentence on what you do. Uh, Kirsten, why don't we start with you? All right. Hi, everybody. Pleasure to meet you all on the screen. Uh, Kirsten Gray from Melbourne, uh, Chief Sustainability and External Affairs Officer for Treasury Wine Estates. Now that's perfect. Thank you. Sam, next. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Thackeray. I'm the Managing Director of Anotra & Co. We are a leading wholesaler in the UK. Very good. Thank you. Sandrine. Hi, everyone. I'm Sandrine Sommer, Chief Sustainability Officer for Wet & Sea. So I'm in charge of environmental, social and societal aspects for our 25 maisons all over the world. Thank you. Erica. I am Erica Landon Loving. I'm uh, Swedish, but based in the US now. I'm Chief Sustainability Officer for Vintage Wine Estates, which is a wine group with about uh, 12 wineries and 50 brands. We are also public on the NASDAQ exchange. Thank you. And last but not least. Hi, I'm Anne Bousquet, <clears throat> Anne Bousquet President and CEO of Domaine Bousquet in Argentina. I'm actually based in Argentina right now. Um, Domaine Bousquet, uh, we are a winery, uh, uh, organic and biodynamic. Thanks very much. Well, Anne, why don't we stick with you for now with the, the first question. What is a sustainability strategy? I mean, you guys are an organic pioneer. You've done a lot to promote both the idea of organics and make a great business out of it. I've just been going through your website, some really interesting branding and um, messaging on there. But how is that evolving? Um, I'm really interested to hear your views on what constitutes a sustainability strategy today. Well, our strategy started really from the beginning when we, um, we arrived here in the late 90s in Yucca Valley, Mendoza. Um, at the time, uh, Yucca Valley, in more particular, the Gualtayari uh, section of Yucca Valley uh, was not cultivated at all with vineyards. All the vineyards were concentrated in Luján de Cuyo, near Mendoza City. And here in Yucca Valley, Gualtayari, we are about an hour and a half driving from Mendoza. So when we arrived, we started from scratch with... Uh, a virgin land uh, and so the, the strategy become very very clear for us i mean we we came from i'm, I'm originally from france uh came from carcassonne grew up on the vineyard there in languedoc and um and uh, we we decided my dad decided to to sell everything in languedoc in the 90s and come here and here where well, we we and we came here for one reason because we discovered that it was a very dry climate and so immediately we saw the opportunity of not using any more chemicals, any more pesticide or herbicide and to, to be organic. And that really was for us such a plus. So the important uh, natural environment that are, because we are here at 4,000 feet at the foot of the Andes, and that was the strategy imposed itself to us. It's like that was the opportunity to do organic. And if we were not doing it here, <laughs> we were not going to go do, do it anywhere. So that, that started with a decision to, as we planted in 1999 and 2000, we planted the vineyards to go and, and certify organic. We obviously had to wait three years, but that was the, the, the first strategy. And then also the, the, the environment where we were uh, in Tupungato, as I said, an hour and a half away, driving from Mendoza City, so a small town where we had the, we started to plant 
the vines. They were we first had to put the electricity on the, on the land, uh, build the well to in order to plant. And needless to say that there was uh, we, it was difficult to find workers because people. It was the first vineyards that were started to be planted in the nineties. So we didn't have workers. Sorry, I don't need to rush you, but we are short on time. Right. Where we are today and where you see going forward. That's great. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. So from the get-go, we had to be also sustainable in terms of uh, economic and social aspect, because we had to work with the environment we had uh, in terms of social and economic aspects. So you for, uh, fast forward 21 years later, this region where we started to, with a couple of vineyards, now is full of <laughs> top, uh, top-notch wineries that have invested here and that had created a whole ecosystem, not just environmental, uh, because we are organic, but um, also um, social and economic, because we have created all the wineries, an uh, economic ecosystem, where now we employ uh, people from the town. Uh, in our winery, we have 180 uh, employees and uh, a big majority are come from come from the town. We've trained them. And for us, this is what we call the 360 degrees sustainability. It's environmental, social, and economic. Thank you. And do you feel the need to set big, bold 2030 targets? I'm just you know, curious as to the, the, the pressures you feel from the outside to tell more about what you're planning on doing. Um, as I said, for us, it was the, the pressure was coming always from inside. We had to be sustainable. So now, yes, as a matter to say it and, and to demonstrate to, to, to the rest of the world, I think I feel now that I have kind of a mission to demonstrate to the world it's feasible. Now, of course, on the environmental side, as I said, we have a, a magnificent, magnificent terroir at the foot of the Andes because very dry. And, and that allows us to do organic, maybe at a bigger scale than other wine regions can do. But on the social and economic aspect, is, is uh, the pressure I feel is more like, yes, yeah, saying the story to show it's feasible and we should do it more. Everybody, you know, that's, that's what I feel. But the Thank pressure you. was always more from inward. Thank you. Case. Well, um, it'd be interesting to hear your comments a bit later on whether or not labor shortages, which seem to be happening worldwide, uh, meaning that one needs to be the employer of choice these days. Therefore, does one need to go out there and tell one's story better to, to partly to help get workers in? But let's talk about that a bit later. Erica, I know you've been working on sustainability strategy recently. Um, uh, so yeah. learn, what does a credible one look like for a NASDAQ-listed wine business? <laughs> well, um, one thing that's been interesting that's happening in the, in the U.S. is that finally the financial markets are putting pressure on us to create strategies that we show how we can meet and that we show that we are meeting. So if we, um, a strategy now, it's, it's, not, it's not just the lofty goals. It's not just the painting a picture. It's, it's making things numerical in, in goals. Uh, but before we set them, we actually need to know kind of how we're going to reach them because uh in our um, financial reporting we are actually going to have to if, if, if these new regulations pass and they're expected to pass uh as a public company we're going to have to show what steps are we taking 
to stay on the trajectory that is needed to re reach that 2030 goal. So it, it doesn't, um, so it stops being this thing far away in the future. It's something that the second you put it on paper, you, you need to start working your way there. And then year after year in your annual report, you are going to have to show if you are following that traje trajectory. And this is one of the things that I think is really exciting because the wine industry has been really good at speaking about the, the storytelling around sustainability and especially storytelling around sustainability in the vineyard and maybe some of the social parts. But now we're at a point where we need to start putting numbers on things and we need to make targets like other, other industries do. And the financial markets have started pushing pressure on us. Uh, and it can seem like we're only a handful of public companies, public wine companies in the world. And I know Treasury is uh, one of them. And of course, Smoet, um, LVMH. We, we are directly impacted by the demands of whatever stock exchange we're on and whatever investors we have. But that doesn't mean that smaller producers aren't going to need to do the same thing. For example, if I am required to do scope three emissions, that's going to come down the line to you as a mid-size uh, grape grower who's selling grapes to me, because sooner or later, I'm going to come to you and ask you for your numbers because I need them. Or if you're, see, you're selling wine to Target and they're public, you need, you need to have... <laughs> so strategy, uh, you know, strategy is no longer just where, where do you want to go, but how are you going to get there? And in a very concrete, concrete way, that might actually mean needing some other types of talents within your company as well. Um, Thank you. That's a really interesting opening statement because I know lots of big food companies that I work with through my other business innovation forum where they, they put out, they feel the pressure to put out these big, bold targets having calculated the scope three footprint, which is enormous, mm -hmm. they don't say we were going to do this, but I'm being honest, none of them have got a clue really how they're going to do it because that might just be because they're so massive. <laughs> yeah, you're talking yeah. about the world's largest consumer goods companies. Um, do you think that's a difference there between your business and theirs, Erica? You know, Nestle has to say they want to tackle it, but they're very, Nestle are being very honest that they don't really know how they're going to do it because it's huge. Is it more manageable yeah. for or you feel more of a responsibility to say this is our plan for actually doing it. Um, I'm I'm saying it with a little bit of hesitation that yes, I mean we're we're smaller, but we're also much much smaller than for example Treasury. They might have the same challenges. Especially, uh, it's going to be easier for us to get a complete grip on our scope three. But no, it's not like it's easy, and it's not like I can say exactly what steps and exactly what costs. I definitely cannot do that but it needs to be part of our thinking from the beginning. It needs to be part of our uh, discussions on a frequent basis. It's, it's like, <laughs> if we have a target, how much are we knocking off uh, all the time? And in California, I mean, the US is such a litigious country. Um, now there's actually the risk that you get sued as a big company. If you go out and make statements and you're not, uh, you know, you're not actually moving towards them, uh, you can get sued for false, false marketing. <laughs> Yeah, so, that was. Um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. That was always something that I think held back United States-based companies in the past was the lawyers leaning over their shoulders saying, "Hang on a minute." Um, and there used to be a thing saying, "You know, if you don't look, you didn't know, and if you didn't know, you're not liable." 
But if you did look and you didn't know, then you are liable. So therefore, don't look. You know, and I think we've got past that now. Um, to I, a... I wouldn't be so convinced. <laughs> okay, Kirsten, are you convinced? And what does all this mean to you at Treasury? What do you recognise from what you've heard from Erica? And what would you like to add, Kirsten? <laughs> I won't answer that with my legal hat on. I'll 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 stick to the sustainability one. Um, look, I mean, I I. Uh, you know, there's a lot of comments there around around the sort of listed company space and and um, the messages that we get from investors and how we're going to have to report. But um, I think if we come back to your questions, Toby, around strategy and how do we how do we think about it, I I um I would say that at Treasury we have only fairly recently wrapped what you might call a strategy around what was a really diverse set of activities, if I can describe it that way, because uh, we have got a really committed, large and committed group of viticulturalists um, across a number of countries um, who had moved, you know, over years to a, a series of activities that were going towards, uh, if you like, the sustainable winemaking elements. Um, of a sustainability strategy, but but hadn't really gathered that together. We've only fairly recently tried to 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 wrap that into one unified direction, and that might be how I think about the strategy and to express what we're trying to do at the concept level. I think, and so that's you know that's how there's not um, much in a strategy. I don't think I mean I think we we express us fairly simply as as wanting to produce sustainable wine build a resilient business and foster healthy and inclusive communities that's our expression and that's how I'd say we express our strategy beyond that it's a plan um, and that's the really hard bit I, I would say so um, you know I think in order to yeah Sorry. What's the balance there, Kirsten, between the values-driven approach that Anne talked about uh, and the and the sort of outside forces, investors, so on that, that Erica mentioned? Because I guess it's pretty important to get that balance right, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got to have metrics for a big business, but on the other hand, if you're run by metrics, that's not necessarily good for for corporate culture and for and for progress, is it? So, how do you do you recognise that that challenge oh. there? It's such a good question, and I um and I you know I haven't got to the metrics really. Um, I um I, I don't think there's much competition in in my mind between the sort of the pressure from outside and the pressure from from uh, inside, if you like. I the inside is what matters. Um, I, I think that you know, and I, and I think that's how we've come to it. There was a, a, a groundswell, I think, around uh, from Treasury employees to be more deliberate uh, than we were being uh, around our sustainability intent. And I think that um, it was really important for us to have integrity in the approach that, that we took to it. So we had to want to do that and we had to believe that we needed to operate sustainably that sounds you know you could it can sound a bit naive in the world of business 
strategy, but in this area there is no substitute, I don't think, for having, you know, really believing in what you're doing. You are quickly uh, found out, I think, if you if you don't have integrity in the approach you've taken. So I think you have to consult your entrails and decide what matters to you. I think that's obvious to everyone on this call. I'm sure that that that's uh, that that's an approach that would uh, would ring a bell with most. The the investor and other external communities are coming around and actually they're just uh, ways that uh, that hit listed companies of expressing uh, what uh, what the community is broadly believing. And do you have any external stakeholder pressure? I mean, I, in wine, it seems to me there's not quite as many. Um, campaigning NGOs as I come across in uh, in other sectors, which is possibly a good and a bad thing. A bad thing if you're not on the end of them, a good thing if you are. <laughs> Who's your most important stakeholder group then? Is it those employees who are, who are turning to you saying, what are we doing about the climate crisis? Or do you have other stakeholders who, who approach Treasury saying, you know, we need to know what you're doing? I'm, I'm really curious as to the dynamics there. You're possibly asking a good person because I, I've, I've worked for a long time in the resources uh, sector uh, before I was a wine person. Um, and there's a different, obviously, uh, set of, of uh, stakeholders there. Um, I would say our most important uh, stakeholders in our wine business are employees, followed by consumers, followed by investors. They're all going in the same direction, which is the brilliant thing about producing a product like wine or really any consumer product. Uh, I think in this day and age, your, your, your business interests are aligned with uh, an ambition to operate sustainably. sustainably. Absolutely. I mean, the comment I made earlier about some of the big companies not knowing how they're going to do it, they just know that they have to now. So they have the confidence to admit they don't know how it's going to work. But here's what they're trying to do, which I think has been a huge breakthrough in the last five years. Uh, Sam, I'm going to come to you in a minute uh, with, for a change of pace because you're not a producer. It's listed on the stock market, as far as I know, unless you've diversified since I last looked at your website. Um, so I'll come to you in a minute. But continuing the, the listed wine company theme, Sandrine, um, someone said to me at your conference a couple of weeks ago, they said, look at all of the LVMH companies, employees here. They said, is this conference as much about them and alignment for LVMH as it is about talking to external stakeholders about healthy soils? Um, I wondered what you thought about that and interested in your views, of course, on, on what a credible strategy looks like. So, Sandrine, over to you. Yeah, no, no, you know, the, the, this conference was both for internal and external uh, uh, stakeholders, as uh, as uh, Kirsten said, you know, I think it's very important to to take uh, take care about our employees. For sure, it's our first priority, and it's very important for them to have a sustainability uh, strategy. But and we have to have as well for external external meaning the suppliers. You know, very important to to address uh, our suppliers, and very important, of course, to address our customer, our clients. And for example, if you remember in Arles, we invited as well some retailers. And it was very important for us that even at the end of the, the, the life cycle, uh, we have, uh, we, we, we have them, um, uh, in this, uh, in this conference. So just to come back in terms of strategy, in terms of sustainability strategy for Moetensi, you know, we, we have decided to structure, you know, because again, in terms of strategy, it's very important to structure. So to structure our sustainability commitment into four key pillars, and the name of this uh, uh, sustainability strategy is Living Soils Living Together. 
And within living soils living together, we have four pillars. The first one is regenerating soils, and all we all, all uh, what we have to do in terms of uh, um, in terms of biodiversity, in terms of uh, reducing uh, chemicals, of course, and in terms of uh, gather all stakeholders about uh, regenerating soils. The second pillar is about uh, climate change and how we want to reduce and how we have to reduce drastically our uh, carbon emission and particularly for the, with the scope three, for sure. The third pillar is about uh, engaging society, you know, because when we talk about sustainability, it's very important not to work for our own interest, but uh, to address the society, society as a whole. And uh, within this uh, pillar, we have uh, we have to address, of course, the responsible drinking, and we have to address uh, giving back to communities and, and so on. And last but uh, not least, the last pillar is about our employees, you know, and uh, in order to, to give more sense, uh, to empower them uh, with different subjects as well-being, safety, transmitting, uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, and, and, and so on. So, Again, in terms of strategy, what is really, really important is to have um, uh, a complete, you know, overview uh, about all these subjects, and not only have the environmental part, but have the environmental, social, and societal aspects, and give some, uh, of course, some goals, goals for uh, 2030, you know, and with uh, ambitious uh, figures when we have. Uh, some figures, because sometimes it's difficult to quantify, but uh, when we have this, uh, we have to, uh, um, to be sure that uh, our uh, organization is aware about our goals. And I think what is really important as well in terms of strategy is always to highlight all the baby steps, you know, because within this subject, it's always difficult. We know that we have a, a mountain uh, to climb, but I think even if it's small uh, actions, we have to promote them within the organization. And uh, like that, you know, to continue to build step by step uh, what we have to do and to be sure, you know, because uh, I'm sure we are all convinced here, we have to change everything. Uh, we know that uh, we have no choice. and. Uh, and I think, in fact, sustainability, to, to have a strategy in terms of sustainability is very important, again, to give more sense, to give more um, uh, ambition, um, to, um, to, 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 to boost, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the innovation, the creativity, uh, to gather all, uh, all departments. And uh, maybe the, the most important thing is uh, to change the mindset. You know, very often I... Uh, I talk about uh, sustainability as a mindset because uh, uh, we have to change uh, every department. You know, very often I have some some people and some employees from finance, from marketing, from from purchasing who ask me, "Oh, if I I, I would like to join your your uh, your team, I would like to uh, to go to to have a new career in sustainability." And again, I answer them, "That's fine, but you know what?" I think you have to do sustainability in your own department with your own mission. I think this is uh, the key and, and this is exactly what we have to do in order to uh, you know, leverage uh, the, the, the sustainability strategy. Okay, thank you. Um, 
Last week, uh, we held, through my other business, a big agriculture conference on, on the future of food, as we called it. And almost every session referred to a word I haven't heard mentioned here yet, which is regenerative. What's the conversation, given that your strategy is, I think is really interesting, Sandra, because you're looking at it through the lens of soil, as, you know, which is obviously the key for all agriculture. Where does the word regenerative fit into your thinking and conversations? Because I know some big food companies who are saying, we need not only regenerative agriculture, we need to become a regenerative company. And I'm saying to them, okay, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> um, why don't we do regenerative ag really well for a little bit first? I know there's a climate crisis and we're in a hurry, but let's not overreach here because there's a huge leap from regen ag to being a regen organization. I mean, that, they are quite different things, actually, in some ways, um, particularly with the social aspect. So I'm just wondering, Sandra, from a sort of strategy point of view, what are the conversations you're having at Moet Hennessy about regenerative? Yeah, you know, we, we, we love this, uh, this uh, world, you know, regenerative. And we, uh, we talk about regenerative luxury. You know, so, so you, yeah. um, I think it's, it, it's interesting, you know, because uh, with regenerative, you have really the positive aspect. And I think we, we know that in order to involve everybody, we need some positive world. And it's better to regenerate uh, rather than uh, reduce uh, the carbon footprint and so on. So I think this is a really, really interesting question, how we can do further. And I, I, I take this word, regenerate, uh, like that. It means not only decrease our environmental impacts, but go further, like uh, regenerative agriculture. And when we speak about regenerative luxury or regenerative economy, you know, it means how we can have a positive impact for social aspect or a, a positive impact for economy as well. So I think, I think this, this term is very interesting. We have always to uh, take care, you know, and to, to um, uh, not to use in a lot of um, uh, way. But I think it's really interesting that we all need some positive uh, uh, positive energy, I would say, and with regenerate, I think we, we are going at, in the in the in the right way. Yeah, it's a very interesting term because what a lot of companies are saying um, is that well, company execs I, I happen to have spoken to in recent years is that sustainability was seen as quite a defensive term, you know, kind of hanging on to what we've got, whereas regenerative is seen as this, as you mentioned, something this kind of proactive. Um, proactive way of, of taking on the future and making it better but of course i think you're right we have to have our our potential greenwash monitors on high alert don't we because it's one thing to do some regenerative agriculture it's another thing to be a regenerative company which no one quite knows what that looks like given that it's more of a paradigm than a codified system at least for a lot of companies anyway we'll come back to that um sam let's have a change of pace with you um, really pleased you're able to join us because um, if you look at all the wine sustainability certifications and standards, you'd think the only impact in wine was in vineyards and wineries. Um, partly why we set up the Sustainable Wine Roundtable to include the likes of Enotria and others in the sustainability journey. So as, as a founding member of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, thank you for that. I'm really curious to know where you, what your conversations are like internally on what a sustainability strategy means for your bit of the wine business. Yeah, um, I think 
we're in a as a as a sort of wholesaler, we're in a relatively unique position. That you're in the middle of the supply chain, um, and therefore, and you mentioned greenwashing there before. A lot of our focus uh, previously has been on selling the sort of green credentials and stories of the winemaker or producer, um, but that necessarily uh, is only is only part of the story. Um, and what happens once it leaves the winery to those bottles or those cases? Um, how that product is then transported to the country it's going to be sold in. Um, where it's stored, how it's stored, what sort of fleet that's distributed on is a is an element that I think is uh, often forgotten, but is potentially the most important part of the of the the, the life cycle um, of the product. Um, so it's all well and good having a, a sort of carbon neutral winery and a, a wonderful sustainable story, but if it's you know I don't want to pick on New Zealand, but if it's coming from the other side of the world, um, it's on air freight and then it's delivered in filthy um, diesel vehicles around the country, it's probably not the best sustainable story. So um, from my point of view, it's a very interesting category because we're able to uh, influence up and down the supply chain, I suppose, um, and uh, not only um, work to influence our, all of our producers from whatever it is, I think 68 countries we, we import from from around the, from around the globe, um, but also the gatekeepers in terms of business um, from our end. So that's sort of the B2B element and also the end consumer. So we're able to influence all, all these different parts of the supply chain. I think the interesting word you used was credible, um, and, and it's difficult being last because you don't want to repeat um, anything else anyone said, but I think the, the thing for me is that um, the vision and purpose of the business, I think, has to include that sustainability element now for it to be credible. Um, and Kirsten was very eloquent talking about um, people within the, with, within the business, but I think what sustainability means to individuals is, is crucial, that kind of bottom-up influence on the business um, and then making sure that you've kind of got a task force within it um, to, to get those sort of cross-functional veins across buying operations or certainly, certainly, certainly for my business. So um, it, it, there's obviously the pillars of, uh, of sort of duty of care and governance and social and community and then environment, um, which I think most people will have as standard. But it's how you make that, um, integrate that into the, into, into the overall business that is, that is crucial for us. And so what kind of targets do you feel the need to set i mean you you're in a pretty tight margin business already yeah and it's, it's easy for sustainability to be seen as more of a threat than opportunity i think isn't it in a tight margin logistics type business um how do you get past that and what sort of targets do you feel are appropriate to be setting yeah um good question i think there are some obvious ones around um carbon footprint and, and working on SCR, um which is the sustainable energy um Carbon reporting. Um, so we, we have we have got a 2030 carbon neutral goal, um, but there are things that we do as a business um, that, that also sit within the environment in terms of our own um, certification within how we operate environmentally in the warehouse within our fleet, uh, what we do with um, uh, product to uh, to landfill and stuff like that. There's an awful, you know, it's terrifying looking at my yard just outside here and just the amount of packaging and pallets and cardboard and glass um, that we create just on a daily basis is, is, is terrifying. So um, there are targets around our recycling rates, um, zero, zero waste of land, but all those sorts of things as well. And, and then you have to set objectives, I think, in terms of engagement within your own business around other elements in terms of community, um, in terms of how we're leveraging what we're doing for, for a greater good and, and influence within the industry as a whole. So um, there's, there's a lot of different elements to it, but um, you, you do have to kind of put a marker down on, on the, the tangible things and then the intangible, you have to kind of work towards a better, a better engagement from your own people. Thank you. Um, 
when you talk about carbon neutrality, what does that mean to you? Because a lot of lot slightly larger companies uh, than yours have got this focus on net zero uh, or net positive. But there have been a lot of discussions recently about you know that old business mantra if you, is if you only set one headline target, watch out because <laughs> lots of unintended consequences can happen if you're rushing headlong towards one goal. So where does where does that sit in your thinking at the moment? Uh, well, I mean, I think we do have we have a I mean, we, I think we talked I think the title of this was what was the um, this is saying to be now not a choice, but a necessity. There's all sorts of elements in terms of internal momentum, operational necessity in terms of and then aligning with our supply chain partners. But the, for us, the sort of the cold business light of day is there's a commercial necessity. Our biggest customers who are um, blue chip companies or public companies, um, whether it's in the multiples or, or large um, entree customers um, require it of us to have have those headline targets and that that sort of carbon neutral position. Um, so we do need to work towards that. Um, in terms of um, how we get there, it's terrifying, uh, to be honest, because I think people are aware of the sort of scope one and two, which is within your own control. But um, sitting, as I said, in that in that middleman position, uh, the, the scope three element on supply chain and just the, the data and requirement in terms of information uh, across, I think we have something like 600 main suppliers, as I said, across 68 companies um, and, and multiple SKUs across um, all of these um, is, a, is a terrifying prospect in terms of trying to collect accurate and consistent and relevant and up-to-date data um, is the biggest piece and the biggest challenge for us. Yes, absolutely. And that's something the SWR is starting to focus on is how do we align members on data collection? Yeah. We've seen this happen in other industries and in other roundtables, and it's it's vitally important. Um, well, on, on the carbon neutrality point of view, we are going to be talking about this later in the conference. But just if anyone's interested, we are also exploring what's called insetting for wine, which is look at it this way. If you were going to spend money on carbon offsets, you probably won't be able to afford them. At a credible level in five years time delta airlines and ge and big companies are going to buy them all and you won't be able to afford them um, not credible ones anyway but insetting which is what looks like the ghg protocol guidance and the science-based targets initiatives flag guidance will push us towards is where you might t calculate your emissions and find out a way to improve carbon sequestration in your value chain so in vineyards in land use uh, and that means you've got a story to tell and you're not buying mass balance carbon credits and you're not even sure where that money's going or who's taking a cut of what. So that that's all being sorted out in, in the next year or so. And um, it's not clear <laughs> what the guidance will look like, although the, the, the indications are the guidance is heading in that direction of encouraging insetting rather than offsetting. So it could be quite good news for wine, I think, because whilst the verification and monitoring and so on is going to be complicated and it's not sorted out yet, um, the opportunity for storytelling is going to be enormous. The connection between Inotria and Inotria's suppliers is going to be easier to make, although there's a lot to play for and it is going to be complex. So um, <laughs> we'll be keeping a close eye on that. I have a written summary of what I've learned about it. If anyone's interested, I'll uh, I'll send it through. Um, let's come back to you, Anne. Um, your, your reflection at the beginning that, that came from within has been very much backed up by what we're hearing from the other speakers. How is that helping you? How is that kind of internal ethos um, helping you manage some of the resilience issues that a wine business faces? You know, are you noticing that you know it's easier to do things that matter, like hire <laughs> hire labour, because of 
your overt sustainability approach. I'm curious as to what you've seen the benefits are. Um, the benefits, you, you mean, of the sustainability approach we've had, right? Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot on your website. You're, you're very overt with your approach. Mm -hmm. for, those, for those who perhaps aren't at that level, what are the business case benefits that you would outline that they could take take to their leadership to get uh, to get sign off on you know, more investment in strategy and so on? Yeah, and, 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 and I agree with all, a lot of the points that have been told here. Um, I'll say the benefits first are on the soil, for sure. While we're seeing in the land uh, the practice of 20 years of organic, in the past few years, biodynamic is amazing. Uh, the impact it has on the land in terms of long term. You, you protect the land, you regenerate the land, for sure. So uh, we saw it with the last harvest. A lot of conventional growers and vineyards had much lower uh uh, yields in, in the last harvest, which just finished uh, two months ago in Argentina. And our organic vineyards were so much more resilient. And we had very good yield, even though it was quite of a difficult harvest due to the climate. So that was a, a proof that uh, uh, protecting the land and, and, and uh, organic uh, really, really helps over the health of the soil and the vines over the long term. And then it's, uh, you know, uh, I said, we started from, from inside because we had to, because of the environment we, are, we were into, and, but it takes years. It takes years because I agree with a, a lot of, uh, of, of the speakers here. Uh, you have to convince everybody in the chain. You have to convince your employee. It has to become a culture. It's a cultural aspect. So um, we, we've got to a point now, 20 years later, where definitely our, our employees are convinced of it. And once you have this, the first the employees as a stakeholder convinced of it, it's, it makes it so much easier. And then um, to going back to what the strategy for us is now, yes, going outward and working more with our clients and seeing everything we can do as we evolve in time to, to continue into that generation and, and sustainability because generative is, is, a, is important because we need to regenerate the soil. Um, and, and there is, by the way, a certification for this, ROC, uh, and, uh, and we, we just got certified for it, but uh, also is now getting throughout the whole chain, our clients, our customers, and see what we can do in terms of carbon footprint, always having um, ideas and, and, and initiative. For example, now we're bottling in the US, we're bottling in the UK to try to be more sustainable instead of sending containers of, of, uh, of bottles, sending containers of, of uh, bulk and bottling there. Uh, so um, it's, it's convincing in order to, 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 to get to, to, uh, to all the benefits, it's constantly working on convincing all the stakeholders or, on, or in the supply chain. And that's our, for that I think we all talked about it. And it's also our clients and our consumers, our clients, the importers, the distributors, and having them also help us do the work. Our job is to convince them and then having them help us convince the end consumers. Thank you. Um, reflection from any other panelists on anything they've heard in the last 10 minutes or so. Erica has a point about materiality and what that means. Um, Erica, before we, we come into that, explain what you mean by materiality, because it's a word that you hear a lot in sustainability, but it, what exactly does it mean to you and why, why does it matter? Um, materiality becomes 
the specific issues that really make a difference for our company. Um, when we do, so we started our strategic work with a materiality analysis, which, I mean, that's a, for me, that's a term that comes from finance. It's started to get used a lot with, um, with ESG, which is, you know, another, <laughs> I think most people here know what ESG is, but just uh, in case it's the acronym that is now used in general in the financial markets to talk about sustainability, it's environmental, um, environmental social and governance. But um, so doing materiality analysis is, is see, looking at first at the, at the big trends that are affecting the world and then looking at what environmental and social aspects are impacting my business. What, what environmental and social aspects are going to have an impact on the way I do business now and in the future? And also what of what we do, uh, you know, what areas are we impacting? So for example, climate will impact our wine growing, but what we do in production with our carbon footprint impacts the global climate in a way. So from those two mindsets, um, we create a list of topics. And um, while, while the sustainability topics look similar for everybody around the world in the wine industry, they are not exactly the same. And, and uh, the next layer we add onto that is talking to our, um, to our employees, what really matters to them and to our um, uh, other stakeholders to see, you know, to get, it, to get input. So from this list of a lot of topics that, that affect, um, affect us when it comes to sustainability, we have uh, narrowed down and, and set that kind of strategy that Sandrine was talking about and Kristen was talking about, uh, where you have a couple of pillars. Like the, these are our core topics. For example, for us, it's, uh, it's water, it's packaging and waste are together. Climate is climate, um, our climate impact, but also how climate affects us. And then um, um, people, so diversity, equity, and inclusion mainly. Um, and that helps us focus our work because there's so much you can do in sustainability. But if we have picked the topics that really matter to us, that are really impactful and material for our company, it, 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 it helps us get the focus. It helps us decide that in these areas, we really need to define a strategy. And one of the first things we need to do on everything is, I, I know I sound like a numbers person. I'm not really, I, I'm the child of an environmental activist and I'm a biologist, but I'm really like uh, coming back to, to numbers so that we can follow up what happens uh, year after year um, in, in these areas. Thank you, Erica. Uh, Kirsten, what is, what, how does materiality play a role for Treasury? Because th there's a lot of impacts you could put into that matrix, isn't there? I mean, is, is it is it a guiding principle or is it just a useful tool? Oh no, I think it's central, um, Toby, to the you know to the areas that we focus on, and I, I we take a very similar approach to that that Erica's just outlined, and in fact, our material areas are very similar to to hers. Um, so. Um, and you know, if you look at it with the sort of the new, the new terminology of double materiality, is it material to the sustainable operation of your business, and is it financially uh, material um, uh, to you? Then uh, ours are also uh, climate and water. So, and I'd probably put water first, and uh, climate and the the adaptation challenges. Uh, rather than the emissions uh, second. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that, that that's very different whether you're, you're smaller or larger, but it's a, you know, it's a crucial concept for us. 
Yeah, thank you. Very interesting. Sandrine, any comment on, on that? Yeah, I think it's always very, very important, you know, to, to be aware about your real impact. And sometimes it's not where you, 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 are, you are thinking of, you know, for example, uh, when we um, calculate uh, our last carbon footprint, you know, packaging uh, represents uh, 40% 40% uh, of our uh, carbon emission. And we know that packaging is important, but, but maybe uh, with this, uh, with this uh, uh, importance. And when you uh, are looking into packaging, in fact, glass bottles are very emitting in terms of, uh, of CO2. And you know glass, we all love glass because glass is a fantastic material, is it recycle, recyclable and uh, uh, and, and for sure, it's a very luxury uh, product and it's fine in terms of uh, uh, food safety and so on. So it's a fantastic material, but it produces a lot of uh, carbon emissions. So if we want to reduce basically our carbon footprint, we have to work with our glass maker, our glass producer in order to change the mix, the energetic mix to uh, produce uh, uh, glass. And we have to, to work with uh, marketing uh, uh, people in order to review the shape of the glass, in order to decrease the weight of the glass, in order to uh, uh, add more recycled glass within our bottle, and to be sure uh, at the end of the, of the life cycle of the product, to be sure our clients will recycle, if they can, in their country, uh, if they can recycle uh, glass or imagine maybe um, a circular, uh, circular economy for sure and, uh, and try to have some uh, refill, uh, refill system when it's possible. But, you know, I think it's important uh, always to keep in mind the, the main impact you have with, within your activity in the environmental part or in the social part in order to be sure to focus, you know, first of all, uh, on these uh, on these uh, priorities, rather than if I if I if I say, uh, for example, in terms of transportation, you know, again the main impact is in terms of uh, uh, product transportation, rather than our people who uh, will go for a meeting uh, or uh, for the Arl forum, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and they 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 they, are, they took plane, I think. Or for sure, we have to decrease as well the transportation of our people. But anyway, when you are look, uh, when when you have a look on your uh, on your uh, carbon footprint, this is not the main part. So I think it's very important to always keep in mind where are your priorities in order, you know, to uh, to act more uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, talking of priorities, let's just finish off with some comments on the social side of things. We've talked a lot about environmental issues, um, but in that report I just added to the chat that we wrote a couple of years ago, we looked at what we call the sort of fetishization of the smallholder farm, smallholder farmer, and the lack of focus on what goes on around farms and communities, ecosystems, and um, farm gate to, to free on board. And, and that, that was for other things, other commodities, other, than, other crops, other than wine. But I still think there's some relevant learnings there. Sam, uh, just curious from your point of view on the, the social side, you know, truck drivers and, and, and those in the supply chain, you know, they get written about when they're not there. 
um, but uh, it's a it's a pretty tough life, isn't it? I mean, how do you how do you get that balance right of making yourself the the employer of choice and, and getting the talent while also managing those margins that, that are pretty tight? And it, those issues must be right to the fore for you at the moment. Yes, they are. And that's a horrible question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, um, it, it is a um, it is a massive issue at the moment in terms of. Uh, yeah, short, shortages of staff across all elements, but particularly sort of warehouse and fleet uh, and the management of that. Um, and the, uh, the sort of business dependency versus doing the right thing. There's, there, there's always a tension, obviously, but um, we've had to rely more on agency staff rather than our own full-time employees, and particularly we've come out of COVID. So um, one of the things we've invested heavily in is A, a making sure we're paying a, a, the London living wage in terms of making sure people are paid right. There's obviously been a significant escalation in uh, particularly drivers, has been well publicized around the world in terms of um, meeting pay there. Um, but we're doing a huge amount of investment in training um, and ensuring that uh, the level of, uh, and the standards which are operating at are best in class for the, for the industry in what is notoriously quite a tough environment, um, you know, picking heavy boxes or driving through the night on large articulated lorries. Um, but that's where the main focus has been for us. Um, in terms of other social things, there's obviously um, been a bit of a re-engagement in terms of how we're trying to help the hospitality business as well. A lot of the charity work that we do, um, we support things like Room to Reward, which, which gives away um, rooms to, to those deserving. Uh, and we've done quite a lot of work around sort of mental health work, um, mental health first aid, in terms of training up some of our team um, around that across, across all functions of the, of the business. So... Um, I think that sort of training and that that um, energy invested in people is probably the key to, to, to success in terms of retention of people. Thank you. Well, we don't have time to go into that in more detail, though we will, I think, in other sessions. But rest of the panel, nod if you're having labour and talent shortages. Can I see nods? Yeah, nods. Sandrine, labour and talent shortages? No. Excellent. Well, you're, uh, you're obviously doing really well. Um, everyone I know is worker short. I don't know where they've all gone. <laughs> Nobody can figure it out. Um, but it, it certainly seems like we should not neglect the opportunities of sustainability strategy to include the social aspect, manage risk, because due diligence risk, human rights risk, modern slavery risk exists everywhere. And that exists in small vineyards as well as in large ones, as well as in trucking fleets and warehouses. Um, we need to keep a close eye on it. Other other company, other industries are increasingly focused on this. There are some simple things you can do to manage modern slavery risk. Thank goodness. Uh, it's just a question of having the system sorted out. That's one. This is one of the areas the Sustainable Wine Roundtable is focused on, and one that we think is neglected, not just in wine but in other sectors as well. And the one thing we can say about you know COVID, labour shortages, the current supply chain disruption is it does give us that opportunity to focus on fixing some of these most basic problems so sustainability strategy has a role to play in social i think is is one of the things we're saying in a very significant way um conscious of time um let me just go around i'm going to steal one more minute of the break um panel uh if you want the viewers or the listeners of this later of which we think there will be thousands uh what's the one thing you'd like them to remember uh, Kirsten, let me start with you. What's, if there was one takeaway from this panel for the audience, what would it be for you? Uh, look, I, I think it would be that sustainability is broad. We've, you picked up that point, um, Toby, and referenced some of the other areas here, but we haven't covered all of the areas that we're thinking a lot about. Um, and one of those is uh, consumer health from our 
perspective. So uh, we're spending a lot of time thinking about that. And although the natural focus is on environment and the impacts on the business, I think uh, that uh, we need to always be thinking uh, about the other end of the spectrum and the impact of uh, the wine product on its consumer. Thank you, Kirsten. Sam, one takeaway for the audience, what would it be? Yeah, I think it's just to slightly repeat myself, but it would be to consider the the supply chain. Um, it's the it's the it's the not very sexy part, but the freight, the haulage, um, the how it gets from um, source to end consumer um, is is probably the biggest um, and most significant area of improvement and 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 win, but is probably the most neglected. Um, and you probably sense that again in terms of. The panel here, um, and, and if we've got, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a haulier or someone dealing in freight, um, but it's it, it's pretty critical. And I think business owners um, are looking more to. Um, it, it might not necessarily be in the consumer's end mind at the moment, but I think that's probably where we need to win um, from a sort of business to business point. So it'd be that that's my Absolutely, thank you, Anne. What would be your your one message to the audience listening from the last hour? Um, connecting here with dots with Sam, yes, it's for me. It's that it's global, global, international in the sense of international sustainability. It's a global issue. Global also throughout the industries. It it touches so many industries. It's throughout the supply chain. Uh, wineries are just the beginning of a chain. Now we need to work through the whole chain, and that's why I'm you know I'm so happy we're having this uh, sustainable wine run table, and hopefully we can connect all the dots globally. Thank you. We're certainly going to give that a try. Uh, Sandrine and then Erica with the final word. Uh, definitely, I think we have to be uh, sustainable. I think, Anne, you, you started with this uh, claim. So definitely, we have to be uh, sustainable and in all our value chain. And I think what is very, very important is always to uh, link people and planet. And definitely not to forget the, the social aspect. Thank you. Erica, if there's anything left to say, uh, I know you'll know what it is. <laughs> Measure, start measuring. Uh, it's probably my last say, because I definitely agree that, yes, the whole chain, we need to look at packaging, we need to look at logistics, we can't just focus on the vineyard. But uh, you can't manage what you can measure, what you don't measure is a, is a common catchphrase. And really, if, if you're starting to look at uh, your carbon footprint, your um, your energy use in general, your water use, find ways to measure it and start tracking it. And you'll start seeing trends that um, will tell you where you need to start working. And some of these are actually financially interesting. You, There are money savings to be had <laughs> in a uh, process that is done for sustainability. Excellent. Money savings always sound good, don't they? Particularly in these turbulent times. Erica, thank you so much. Sam, Kirsten, Anne and Sandrine, brilliant job. Really fascinating, difficult topic for you, I know, um, but I think you all did an excellent job. So thank you all so much for your time. Mm -hmm.